You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Defending the Faith Is the Holy Spirit a personality? On superficial readings, some Bible verses appear to support the Holy Spirit as a separate personality of the Trinity. Some additional and helpful scriptures are given in this episode to help examine and explain more clearly the true meaning of these verses. The subject of the personality of the Holy Spirit is really closely related to the belief in the Trinity. And the Trinity is, of course, a belief that there are three identities with God, uh, known as God the Father, God the Son, and and God the Holy Spirit. It can be very confusing uh, to get a good understanding uh, on the belief of the Trinity, uh, because on one hand, the Trinitarians say that there is one God, uh, but then he is actually three made up of one. In my research, I uh, found this little chart here, actually, um, quite often come up when you Google the Trinity and and various uh, um, aspects on that. And so I thought, oh, this is good. Uh, I'll just just, uh, look at this chart, and this will help me to explain to you exactly what the Trinity is about. So we can see here that the Father is God. Okay, and the Father is not the Son. Well, that's good. Uh, But there's another pathway, unfortunately. Uh, The Father is God, who is the Son. Uh, Similarly, the Father is not the Holy Spirit, but, of course, if you take this pathway, the Father is God, who then is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is not the Son, but God is the Holy Spirit and God is the Son. So it depends on which pathway you take as to whether God is separate or whether there are three identities as one. So I must admit, I, I got confused in the end, um, trying to understand exactly how the Father is not the Son, but if you go this way, the Father is God who is the Son. So uh, if you're confused, don't worry, I was as well. With most doctrines, the aspect of uh, the doctrines of, of Trinity, certainly, uh, the, that belief where God is the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as Jesus is a separate person, then some also believe that the Holy Spirit is a separate person. Now look, I'm sure you probably have thought this the same as myself. There are many people out there who are religious, certainly probably got much more intelligence than myself, uh, but they have a strong belief in this particular uh, doctrine on the Trinity or the personality of the Holy Spirit. So why? Uh, is it because we, there's some difference with ourselves or, or, 
or what? What is the what is it? Uh, what is the difference between these people who are reasonably intelligent but also have this belief in the Trinity? So I did a little bit of research, and certainly one person called the Reverend Charles Spurgeon. You may have heard of him. He was uh, very popular back in the 1800s. Uh, he was a well-known man of God. Uh, he certainly was called the Prince of Preachers, actually. Uh, he did a lot of speaking. He wrote commentaries on the whole Bible. So you'd think that you know, he would have a reasonable understanding on the Scriptures. But he also believes in the personality of the Holy Spirit and, and the Trinity. It's said when he died, uh, 60,000 people lined the streets to watch his coffin go past. He was very popular. So I've got some of his papers that he actually wrote on the personality of the Holy Ghost. And uh, I want to first go through uh, his reasoning, the, the scriptures he uses, to conclude in his mind on the Trinity, the belief in the Trinity, and certainly the belief in the personality of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So the first one you'll probably come up with if you are talking to people who do believe in the Trinity, uh, the Trinity is uh, this verse uh, the end of Matthew uh, the last two verses in Matthew the, the uh, command was to go ye therefore teach all nations baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So here we are, all these people who believe in Jesus and who get baptised, they are baptised in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As the Father is one person, the Son is one person, and therefore, obviously, the Holy Spirit is one person. second most quoted one would be these three verses in John. John 14, verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father shall send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Similarly, and similar line, uh, next chapter, but when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. No, he shall testify of me. And lastly, in John 16, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and show it unto you. John 16, verses 13 to 14. So here we see stock standard proof how the Holy Spirit must be a person because 
He's going to testify all things for us. He's going to show you things when, when, he sent, when he's sent from God, you see. He's going to guide you into all truth. That's what he's, his job is. It's the Holy Spirit, the personality of the Holy Spirit. He's going to come from God and he's going to show you all things. Maybe this one. As it is written in 1 Corinthians 2, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. So here, Spurgeon says, you can, only, you can see here that there is an understanding. There is a, a power of knowledge. And it's ascribed to the Holy Spirit. Now, anything, obviously, when anything is spoken of as, as having an, under, an understanding, well, it's got to be in existence, doesn't it? If it's got an understanding, it has to be in existence. And if it's in existence, it's got to be a person. Go back in the Old Testament, Isaiah 63, verse 10. But they reveled and vexed his Holy Spirit, therefore. He was turned to be their enemy, and he fought against them. Well, here we see the Holy Spirit has actually feelings and emotions. He was concerned, he was vexed, and therefore become their enemy. You can see that, that obviously the, this person has, has emotions and feelings then. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the heaven was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Well, here we see the Holy, God sent the Holy Spirit down, and he actually did all the work in creating the heavens and the earth. Yes, it was. Then on a bit further, let us make man in our image, like our likeness, no, it's not let me, it's let us. So there must be three, obviously. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Matthew 3. And Jesus, when he was baptised, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him, and lo, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So as we saw the three back in the beginning, you know, in Genesis 1 verse 26, here we see uh, the three here come to, 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 with the ability to, to uh, with the purpose to, to, to save man. That was, and, and of course, God was, the Father was in heaven and, and, and God the Son got baptised. And, of course, God the Holy Ghost came down and, 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 and sat upon him. He was so pleased about it all. Spurgeon goes on to say, To me it is a source sweet of comfort to think that it is not one person of the Trinity that is engaged for my salvation. It is a glorious trio who wants to do the work. Three's got to be better than one, surely. Lastly, I'll go... I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. 
So once, Spurgeon says, once you give me the Holy Ghost, I shall never lose him forever, for until forever has run out, till eternity has spun its everlasting rounds. So how am I going? This is the sort of discussion you might get into in relation to the personality of the Holy Spirit. This is what you may be presented with. So what are we going to say? Well, now I'll go on the positive aspect of actually presenting what we believe is the Bible truth on the Holy Spirit. And we believe, of course, that the Holy Spirit is not actually a third person of the Godhead, but it's really the power of God. Okay? And I want to show you through uh, uh, the next... In fact, we'll go through those verses that I just brought up on the screen to actually answer what, uh, uh, what uh, is um, the correct understanding, we believe, on, on the personality of the Holy Spirit. But uh, I want to show you that... Um, uh, what, what the actual truth is about the, the Holy Spirit, how it's not a third person, but rather the power of God. You know, as far as the Trinity is concerned, I've had discussions with people before, and the first question I asked someone who uh, is a Trinitarian is this. Do you believe Jesus is God the Son or the Son of God? What's a fair question? The answer I got back was, he's God the Son. And I said, you know, that's strange. I've read the Bible for many years and I haven't found yet anywhere in the scriptures where Jesus is described as God the Son. I've only ever found it as he's described as the Son of God. Isn't that strange? You just said to me that he's God the Son. But I haven't found yet in here where he said where we're told that. We're only ever told he's the Son of God. That might ring some alarm bells to think, well, why is that the case? Come to the with us to, to with me to the reading of Mark chapter twelve. Obviously only a little short reading, but I want to just point out uh, the importance of understanding this aspect of uh, the Trinity and how God is one. And as uh, Lewis had read in verse 28 of Mark 12, we found that uh, one of the scribes came and, and uh, uh, he had heard that Jesus had answered um, the questions very, um, very well and he took the opportunity to ask Jesus, what is the first commandment of all? Well, I suppose he could have said anything, really, couldn't he? But Jesus says in verse 29, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, a name like this, that thou shalt love the neighbour as thyself. There are no other commandments greater than these. Hmm, right. The scribe said unto him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. 
and to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love his neighbour as himself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw they answered discreetly, or in other words, intelligently, he said unto him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus said in verse 30, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind and strength. The scribe said in verse 33, love him with all your heart, your understanding, your soul and your strength. So actually, from instead of mind, it was understanding. To have the correct understanding and to say without any need of clarification that God is one God, if you can do that, you're not far from the kingdom of God. That's how important it is. Okay. Let's get back to these verses which were brought up by Spurgeon, proving that the Holy Ghost uh, is actually a third part of the Trinity. Let's start from the beginning. Genesis chapter 1. We, fought, we saw there in Genesis 1, obviously, that um, in verses 1 and 2, in the beginning God created the heaven and earth, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Now his reasoning was that, here we go, it is claimed the third, this third part of the Godhead, he was the one that did the work, actually. He was the one that actually uh, uh, created the heavens and the earth, the, 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 the Holy Ghost. But, you know, if we go to verses such as Jeremiah 27, we get a bit more of detail about the creation. And commanded them to say to their masters, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel... Thus shall ye say unto your masters, I have made the earth, the man and the beast that are upon the ground, by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and have given it unto whom it seemeth to me. And a little bit further on in, in uh, Jeremiah 51. He hath made the earth by his power, he has established it by the he established the world by his wisdom and has stretched out the heavens by his understanding. It wasn't a third part of a trinity. It was God's power that created the heavens and the earth. It was his power that did that. Over the page, Genesis 1 verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over the, uh, the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. The reasoning was that here, oh, here it is, us and our. Uh, uh, that, that's, that's obviously uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Well, even though it does say us and our, that's all it says. It doesn't actually say anything about 
the personified Holy Spirit, or even Jesus. The us and our actually refer to the angels performing creative work. And there are plenty of examples of, of, of the angels doing God's work. Just come over to Exodus chapter 3, for example. Exodus 3. We'll see fairly clearly from this uh, couple of verses here. In Exodus 3, uh, verse 1 for context. Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll now turn aside and, and see this great sight, which the bush, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush, and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. So we see in verse 2, it's described, it's, we're told that the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. But in actual fact, we're told in verse 4, it was God who actually uh, called unto him. So the angels certainly do God's work. If we, if, if you look in the actual um, uh, concordance, the actual uh, meaning of the word for, for God in this verse is actually Elohim. Uh, and it's translated in different words, even words like goddess and judge. So the meaning of the word, according to the dictionary Bible, is powerful one or, or, or uh, um, yes, or, or strong one. So it's interesting how, interesting how angels are described as that. And certainly, as far as the uh, um, uh, angels are concerned, that's what uh, they do. They can perform God's work. Um, just showing you, as far as the angels are concerned, in Psalm 103, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, and do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of the word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye hosts, ye ministers of his, that do his pleasure. See, bless the Lord, ye angels, that excel in strength. Angels do God's creative work and do all sorts of work on God's behalf. Come over to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We'll see another anomaly if we understand the personality of the Holy Spirit, the way it is uh, believed by some quarters. Luke chapter 1 and verse 35. The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit, shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Obviously uh, predicting how Jesus was going to be um, conceived and born. Now, when we look at that closely... If there were three persons of the Godhead, the true Father of Jesus is not actually God the Father, it's God the Holy Spirit. That's what the verse says. The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee. 
That's the true father of Jesus. But does that make sense? God the Father is not God the Father? In actual fact, we're told here in the same verse what actually uh, the Holy Spirit is. It's the power of the highest. God's power shall come upon thee and plant a seed in Mary's womb. So, John, next chapter, John, uh, Luke, sorry, John chapter 20. Come to John chapter 20 for me. We'll see another example of this. John 20. Verse 19 for, for uh, context. Then the same day at evening, being the, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had said, so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you, and my Father has, as my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them, and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. So looking at this, what did the disciples get? Did they get a third person of the Trinity? Or was it the power of God to do as what verse 23 says? Because it was getting to a time where Christ was going to be departing to heaven and it was their responsibility to take over the preaching. They needed assistance. They didn't have a Bible. They needed to prove to the people what they were saying was from God. The best way to do that is to have the power of God and to show it. As we, have, as we see. Oh, and um, okay, Acts, Acts 8. Just finally on this little aspect. Acts 8, verses 17 to 19. Then laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through laying on the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay hands I may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said unto him, Thy money perish with thee, because I have thought that, that uh, thou can buy the gift of God, uh, and it may be purchased with money. So... Um, what did they receive? Was it actually a third person of the Trinity or was it the power of God to once again perform miracles um, uh, to help preach the truth? You might see in verse 16, uh, it's, it reads, for as yet he uh, was fallen upon them. In the diagram, it's actually it rather than he. But we'll go into that a bit more uh, when we come to the John verses. Okay, Matthew 28, verse 19. The, uh, the most popular uh, verse that will be turned up when you're talking to someone in relation to 
the Trinity and the Holy Spirit, personality of the Holy Spirit. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Right, so Spurgeon said, Everyone who is baptised according to the true form laid down in the scripture must be a Trinitarian. Otherwise, his baptism is a farce and a lie. As the Father is mentioned, and as the Son is mentioned, so is the Holy Ghost mentioned. And the whole is summed up as being a Trinity in unity. Well, what would you say to that? Certainly the God, his Son, and the Holy Spirit are mentioned together, but is that actually proof that there is some personality of the Holy Spirit? In verse 20, we read that, uh, God said, uh, he, that Jesus said, I am, I am with you always. How, is, how would that be the case? When Jesus departs to heaven... How would the disciples feel that, that God and his son are with the disciples? If it's through uh, God's power, certainly. When, when those are baptised, they needed that, that, that help in those early days. You know, it's interesting in Acts chapter 2, when uh, we read Peter's words about baptism, he says, Be baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. That's the wording he used. And you know, when I baptise people, not that it's very often, I use that same wording. I baptise you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And the reason is because of the confusion that can come about by using those words in Matthew 28. So, Certainly, uh, in the sense that, 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 uh, that when, when someone is baptised, uh, God is with them, yes, but not through a personality of the Holy Spirit. Okay, what about that Isaiah 63 quote? Isaiah 63 and verse 10. We read there that, But they rebelled and vexed his Holy Spirit. Therefore he was turned to be their enemy, and he fought against them. Is this really a separate person being grieved? That's what is read by those who believe in the personality of the Holy Spirit. But even the verse above, verse 9, we read that in all their affliction he was afflicted and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. This is actually talking here on God's angels. Here, the angel manifested God's concern and actually took action with his name. I have a reference back in my bar margin uh, in verse 10 to Psalm 78 verse 40. If we go to Psalm 78 verse 40, where we read uh, next to they in verse 10, reference in my margin, Psalm 78 verse 40. If you go back to there... 
we'll see a bit more of the context which will actually help explain this. Psalm 78 and verse 40, we read, How oft did they provoke him in the wilderness and grieve him in the desert? Even at the top of my Bible, the, 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 the heading is the story of God's wrath against the disobedient. Okay? So here uh, we read about this, what was going on with all these that were disobedient. In verse 22 of this psalm, because they believed not God and trusted not in his salvation, all these things actually came about them. We, we find, uh, um, as we read on in this particular psalm, that it was God who was vexed. Reason being, because his power to save was ignored. As mentioned in a few verses later on, even when they stood there witnessing the seas dividing apart, that was all very good at the time, but wasn't too long down the track, they became disobedient again. It was God who was actually vexed about all that, not a third person of a trinity. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 and 10. First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. But as it is written, I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. Now here Spurgeon said, Here you see an understanding. A power of knowledge is ascribed to the Holy Ghost. When anything is spoken of as a, having an understanding, it must therefore be in existence. And if it's in existence, therefore it must be a person. Well, I suppose certainly when something is spoken of as having understanding, there is an existence. But then to go that next step to conclude that it's got to be a person is not necessarily right. And the reason I say that is that there was a, there was a record back in the book of Numbers uh, 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 and we read we read in uh, particular Numbers verse 22 and Numbers chapter 22 verse 28, What have I done to thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? Well, there we see there was a reasoning and an understanding as it was a reasonable question. But it wasn't from a person. It was from Balaam's ass. Paul says in verse 5 of this particular chapter of 1 Corinthians 2, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Okay? It's the power of God. He then goes on to describe what God can achieve through his power. And it's to an extent where we haven't got an understanding. Mere man's eye had not seen nor ear heard what he has prepared for those who love him. They have been revealed to us through his word, to some degree, and in the days of the apostles, 
It was through God's power which was given to them to perform miracles, to confirm his word. Okay, what about that, those series of uh, quotes in John? John chapter 14. We'll just come to that one. Two more to go. John 14. Uh, we read in verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have, com uh, I have said unto you. So there we go. The, the reasoning is there we are. It even says a person. It's a he, the Holy Spirit. He. Well, I guess the first comment is that there's actually personification in other parts of the Bible. Um, Proverbs, we read, doth not wisdom cry, and understanding put, forth, put forth, forth her voice? She standeth in the top of high places, by the way in the places of the past. She crieth at the gates, at the, at the entry of the city, at the coming in of the doors. Unto you, O men, I call. And my voice is to the sons of man. O ye simple, understand wisdom. And ye fools, be ye of an understanding heart. Well, here we see this, we call it thing at the moment, has a voice, stands in high places, cries, has a power of reasoning. But it's not a person, it's wisdom. It's described as personification. You know, the whole context of chapters, John chapters 14, 15 and 16 is all about Jesus comforting the disciples and encouraging them because there was coming a time when Jesus was not going to be with them. Now that would obviously be quite a concern to the disciples. Uh, how are they going to continue the work? So the promise was that they were going to get help uh, it, it was it's defined, defined in, in verse 16 of, of uh, chapter 14 as the spirit of truth. And we're told, yes, in verse 26, that it's going to be given the power to teach all things and the power to bring into remembrance things straight away. I like that power myself, to be honest. So this was going to be... a great asset and assistance to the disciples when Jesus was no longer with them. It just makes more sense to understand it as the power of God given to the disciples to help when Jesus goes to his Father. And while we're in John 14, verse 16, I will pray to the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Now, the actual term forever in the Greek literally means unto the ages. And if you get out your uh, um, Greek to English lexicon, uh, it's described as either a man's lifetime, aeon is, 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 is the word, a man's lifetime or an era, and an era which has a beginning and an end. So the comforter was certainly promised uh, to those disciples and it was going to be with them for the age. In other words, as long as they live. Matthew 3. 
Matthew 3, the record of Jesus' baptism. Okay? Matthew 3, verse 15. Jesus answered and said unto them, Suffer it to be so now, for thus becometh us to fulfil all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptised, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Okay, so the record of Jesus' baptism. Now, think about this. Can we possibly understand it by thinking that God the Father sent God the Holy Spirit to anoint God the Son with God the Holy Spirit? And God was so pleased with himself, he anointed himself with himself. Does that make sense? Or could it be that God was so pleased with his son in obedience of his baptism that he gave his son then power to perform miracles during the ministry? Surely that would be the case. I said finally, but this is finally, Matthew 12. Matthew 12. Verse 31 and 32. Wherefore I say unto you, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, or Holy Ghost, shall not be forgiven unto men. And whosoever shall speaketh the word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whosoever speaketh against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven him, neither in this world neither in the world to come. So, are we to understand that any blasphemy against God the Father and God the Son is forgivable, but blasphemy against God the Holy Ghost is not? If there are three different personalities, why is there a difference? If there are, if there are one. It should be all or nothing, surely. Now, if you look at the context of this particular chapter, in verse 22 it starts, we see that a, poor, a person was brought to Jesus who was both blind and dumb. Unable to see or speak. And someone, particularly in those days, who was in that position, uh, would be quite desperate for help. Well, Jesus healed him. Insomuch that the people saw it and were absolutely amazed how this blind and dumb person was now able to see and to speak. But the Pharisees, they were so jealous, they accused Jesus of some magical powers and, and said that, that, that you only did this by, by Beelzebub, the, the prince of the devils. Jesus said, I've actually cast out this devil, if that's what you want to call it, by the Spirit of God, by the power of God. If you don't believe that, then I'll tell you something, you won't be forgiven. You can say things against to me, and even blaspheme. That will be forgiven, can be forgiven, but if you deny 
the power of God. As you have just witnessed, this blind and dumb person who can now see and speak, if you deny that power of God, well, you have no hope and you won't be forgiven. And you know, that's the same today. If you do not believe in the power of God, how he created the heavens and the earth and all that is in it, you can't be forgiven for that. If you do believe in the power of God, but fail in all sorts of other ways, well then, your sins can be forgiven. That's how important it is. Never disbelieve in the power of God. So I hope that has, I hope that has helped explain what the Spirit of God really is. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.